Do you ever look at somebody and wonder what's going on inside their head? For that matter, do you ever wonder what's going on inside your head? Join us this month as we look at how to ensure that the emotions inside of you don't get the better of you. We're looking at fear, anger, sadness, and joy, and we'd love you to be part of it. Um, well, it's so lovely to be with you today. And um, if you, you may have already had a hint at what we're going to be talking about today, and you might be disgusted by it as you've come into uh, church to find on your chair a feelings wheel. But I hope you'll bear with us. Um, I'm actually really excited about this series as we kick off something called Inside Out, where we're going to be talking about how, the emotion, how to ensure that the emotions inside of us don't get the better of us. Now, the feelings wheel you can take and put to one side. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. And I hope by that point, you're going to be excited that it's on your chair and not disgusted by the idea of talking about feelings. Um, so this series is loosely based on a fantastic film, which I absolutely love, loosely inspired by it, called Inside Out, which is a Pixar movie. Some people will say it's a children's movie. It is not a children's movie. It's a very profound movie for, for grown-ups. And um, I love that movie because I don't know if you've ever seen a film where you feel like the writers knew you when they wrote the script, like you resonate so much with what's going on. When I watched the movie Inside Out, I just felt like it was written to speak to me. And the reason that I love it so much is because it's this story of a little girl called Riley and the five emotions that live inside of her head. And it's basically a story about how the emotions inside of us set the direction for our lives or influence the direction of our lives and not just the direction of our lives but of who we become and what I think is so beautiful about the story is that the emotions that live inside Riley's head even the emotions that sometimes we would think of as bad or negative like sadness and anger they are portrayed as being for Riley that they like exist in her head for a good purpose and the whole story is about her emotions working together for her good and that's basically what we want to talk about in this series, is how to make sure that the emotions inside of you are working for your good and not to sway you off track. So today's message, and we're going to talk about um, three specific emotions as we go through the series. Next week, we're going to talk about fear. But today, um, the title of this message is called The Goldilocks Zone. Now, I don't know if you learned about the Goldilocks zone in GCSE or whatever that equivalent was called when you were at school, um, but the Goldilocks zone is this idea of the fact that our planet is perfectly positioned in the solar system at the right distance from the sun that means water can exist in its liquid form, that it's neither too hot nor too cold. So water doesn't boil up in our planet and it doesn't freeze over. So it's just right. That's why it's called the Goldilocks zone, like the story of Goldilocks and the three bears, where she tries the porridge that's too hot, too cold, and then finds the porridge that is just right. And that is where our planet lives. And the reason the Goldilocks zone is so important and the scientists are so interested in finding the Goldilocks zone in other solar systems is because it's where life can exist. It's where life is possible. And I think we have a Goldilocks zone for our emotions, that there is a state inside of us that means that we are neither boiling up nor freezing over on the inside. 
And that is what we were going to talk about today. Now, I don't know how you were brought up to think about your emotions. And actually, how we're brought up and how we relate to our emotions growing up has quite an impact on us going through our lives. I don't know whether in your household, maybe it was something to talk about or something to hide, whether it was something to be a bit embarrassed of. Maybe it was uh, emotions were running wild in your household. Maybe it was a bit of a disaster zone. Maybe even emotions in your household were a bit scary, that you had a parent or somebody taking care of you who, when they got emotional, you'd want to run away. And maybe that has impacted how you think about your own emotions, what impact your emotions might have on the people around you. All of us have been brought up in different ways to think about what is appropriate when it comes to our emotions. And so we might have different ideas about what this Goldilocks zone is. What is just right when it comes to our emotions? Is it feeling nothing? Is it being completely smooth, like the smoothest waters? Is it being turbulent and expressive? We might have different ideas, but let's start this series on the same page about what we mean when we talk about our emotions being just right. It starts with getting some consensus around this idea that emotions themselves are not a problem to solve. Even negative emotions are not a problem to solve. Mishandled emotions create problems. But emotions are not a problem to solve. Feeling an emotion is not a problem. In fact, it's a response to life's conditions. We feel because there are things to feel about. Because being engaged in life means that we respond to life and that we are present in life, it makes us feel something. In other words, if you're alive, you're going to feel it. There are emotions involved in our lives, and even negative emotions have important functions. So if you think about fear, probably an emotion most of us don't like to feel, but fear teaches us important things. Fear responds to danger, and it teaches us about caution and wisdom. Anger responds to right and wrong, to injustice. It teaches us about what's right. It teaches us about what's wrong. And it teaches us about what we can do to act to bring about change. Sadness responds to loss and pain. And it teaches us about meaning and about value and about gratitude. Feeling a negative emotion is not a problem. It's not a problem to solve, even a negative emotion, because it might be responding to something negative. If you experience pain and you feel sad, that is not a problem to solve. That is your natural response to life in front of you. Even if you're a Christian whose insides are, we talk about being light and bright, it doesn't mean that you can't feel a negative emotion. In fact, Jesus modeled a life that included the breadth of human emotion. At the end of this series, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus was called a man of sorrows, that the person that we revere most in our faith, that the person we're trying to become like was a man of sorrows, a man who knew grief and sadness and pain. Emotions are not a problem to solve. Emotions that are just right are when emotions respond to life's conditions. When we feel angry when something isn't fair, when we feel sad because we've lost something, when we feel fear because there's something frightening in front of us, mishandled emotions create the problems. 
Mishandled emotions are the things that move us outside of our Goldilocks zone, outside of the place where things are just right within us. So what do we mean by mishandling our emotions? Well, we start mishandling our emotions and we can see that it's happening when they become either increasingly intense over a long period of time or they are intensely avoided. Increasingly intense or intensely avoided. Our emotions become increasingly intense when we don't know how to return from a feeling. This is the biggest issue I wrestle with when it comes to emotions, is once I start to feel a certain way, how do I get back? How do I stop the sadness? How do I stop the anger from taking over? And in the other direction, intensely avoided, when we don't ever allow ourselves to arrive at an emotion, so we see sadness coming and we do something to avoid it, to numb it, to distract ourselves. We switch on the TV, we open up our computer screen, we go out. We try to do everything we can to never arrive at a painful emotion. And when we do these things, especially over a longer period, we start to leave the Goldilocks zone. We start to become either consumed by emotions because we don't know how to return from them. They've become too intense. Fear doesn't just become our response to things we're afraid of. Fear becomes our default position in life, that we're afraid before there's something to be afraid of, that we live out of fear. Or we start to become numbed to emotion, that our lives become about trying to avoid really feeling, that we're switching off and we're disconnecting from what's actually going on in front of us. When this happens, Emotions stop being a response to life and a response to life's conditions, and they start conditioning our responses to life. As in, they stop responding to what's in front of us and they start leading us. They start controlling how it is that we move through the world. Because we're either consumed by an emotion, it drives us, it dictates how we are, or we're conditioned by the fact that we're doing everything we can to avoid pain, to avoid that feeling, to avoid that thought. I think in our culture, we're suffering from both of these problems simultaneously, that we're both becoming incredibly consumed by an increasingly intense, particularly a sense of anxiety and fear, that we're consumed by it, that it's actually conditioning our response to life, we're being led by it, but also, that we are a culture that numbs emotions, particularly emotional pain, that does whatever it can to avoid it. And there is so much that is on the rise and that we are doing as a society to numb ourselves, whether it's through pornography, whether it's through alcoholism, self-medication, self-harm. All of these things help us to avoid and escape an emotion before it fully hits us. So more and more, I think, of us are living outside of the Goldilocks zone. But if the Goldilocks zone is the only place where life can really be lived as it should be, then don't we want to find a way back? We want to find a way back to the Goldilocks zone. And that's the question that we're asking today. How do I get back to life in the Goldilocks zone? If I have been suffering under emotions that become increasingly intense or that I am intensely avoiding. And I'd love to introduce you today to somebody who asked this question and got an answer. And he's not here with us physically, but we have his 
songs, his most personal poems, almost like his diary. And in this man's songs, we see the heart of what's going on inside of him. We see his emotions and how he is learning to process them. And the guy's name is David. And we know about David through two things. We know about him because of his songs, and we know about him because of his status. So David was an ancient king. He was king of Israel. He, in fact, he was king of Israel in the golden age of, the, of Israel's history. Still today, people look back on the period of David's kingship and celebrate that time as a golden era for the Israelite nation. And David had a rock and roll life a real rock and roll life. Everything was very impressive on the outside and very messy on the inside. And we know about that because we know about everything that was impressive on the outside through the story of him as a king. But we know about the messiness on the inside because he wrote songs and his songs became very famous. And they are now recorded in a book of the Bible called the Psalms. And the Psalms are incredibly emotional. And it makes sense that they are because David had a lot of emotional things to respond to in his life. He got attention very young. He rose very quickly into power. He had an affair. He was so ashamed of the fact that he had an affair and did so much to try to avoid the emotions associated with having an affair that he actually murdered somebody to try to escape the emotion of it. He gave his all for his nation and then was hunted down by his own son and hated by his own son. He had a lot to respond to in his life, and he was incredibly emotional. But he also regularly mishandled his emotions. And the Psalms are full of those pictures. But the Psalms tell us one really important thing about this character, David, and that's that when he got emotional, God was his first port of call. Now, when I say that, I don't know what your response would be, whether you would resonate with that? Yes, when I get emotional, that's where I go. Or maybe you have had one very emotional moment in your life where God was your last hope, where he was the thing that you reached out to in the middle of the night because you didn't have anywhere else to go. Or maybe you think that you need to sort out your emotions before you go to God, that you need to be able to present yourself in a calm manner to him and be able to sort through what's going on in your head. Or maybe you're just not even sure if God's listening at all, if he understands, or even if he's there. In one of the Psalms that David writes called Psalm, it's called Psalm 139. I'm sure he had a much better title for it, but we've just numbered them now. We find an answer to why for David, God was his first port of call. Now, Psalm 139, before we go into it, is incredibly emotional and it's really quite messy. Don't listen to it when I read it. Don't listen to it in a posh, peaceful voice. I don't, some of you have a Bible voice. You have a voice that you listen to the, and read the Bible in. <laughs> don't listen to it in that voice. I want you to listen to it as the words of somebody who is angry and emotional and spiraling. And actually, it's really interesting when you look at the research into this psalm, people can't quite conclude what is going on with David. We don't know exactly the circumstances that dictated that, that gave rise to this psalm, but we know that David was super emotional. We know that he uses language that he doesn't use anywhere else in all of his songs. And we know that actually the language of this psalm is quite aggressive in a way. 
So as we dive into it, I want you to hear maybe that tone of voice in your mind as we go through. So here is David's psalm, Psalm 139. We've looked at these lyrics a little bit earlier today. Oh Lord, David says, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Now that language of rise up doesn't just mean stand up, it means get riled up. You know when I stand up to go for a fight. You understand my thought from afar. You understand what's going on in here before it comes out of me. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. And the sense here is almost like, I can't get any privacy from you. I was having a conversation with my mum yesterday um, about how weird it is for me when she watches me do this, speak from the front, because I'm like, don't you find it so difficult to sit and listen to me, given that you used to put me in the bath? Like, there's, there's something about somebody who is intimately acquainted with all of your private stuff that means that you, there's almost like you feel a bit exposed when they're sat listening in front of you. And this is the idea that David's kind of getting into, like, you're intimately acquainted with all my ways, all my habits, everything I do or say, my thought patterns. There's nothing about me that you haven't seen before. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. As in, you know something before it comes out of me, which means you know what's going on in here. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Some translations uh, use the language of like, you've hemmed me in. And I used to love that. I have, that's the translation in my Bible, and I thought that was so beautiful. But since I've looked into it more, I found out that the language is much more like what we used this morning. You've besieged me. You've almost attacked me in front and behind. Laid your hand upon me. The language that David's using is quite aggressive. Think more like mum or dad trying to restrain a toddler in the supermarket, like grabbing its limbs to try and stop it from flailing. Such knowledge, David says, is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Now, David's talking about what goes on inside his own mind, but he's saying, God, you know it better than I do, that you understand me better than I understand myself. And then David goes on, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, I don't think this is some beautiful rhetorical language of like, you're everywhere, God. I think David is asking, how could I get away? Can I get away from you? You know, David was somebody who had plenty of his life he probably wanted to hide. And he's asking, how can I get away? I don't know if, about you, but when I feel emotional, that's my instinct. Get away. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be talked to. I don't want to talk to anybody else. I want to be hidden and I want to be alone. And this is what David's asking. Can I get away from you? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the ancient word for the place of the dead. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. In other words, when I run and hide and put the covers over my face because I don't want to face the world, you're already there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, 
your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Whatever extreme I am at, you grab hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even that darkness is not dark to you. Even my depression is not dark to you. Even my misery is not dark to you. Even my anxiety in the middle of the night is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, David says. The actual translation is, you formed my kidneys. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> but that's like the ancient language for the sea. You know when you talk about feeling things in your gut, like you feel it so deep within you, it's like it's coming from the pit of your stomach. That's how they used to use the language of kidneys, that it's like the pit of where my emotions and my feelings come from. And David says, you formed that. You created that, my deepest parts. Now, then David goes off on a very beautiful section of this psalm where he talks about how intimately he's known, how God created him and formed him, has known him his whole life. And then suddenly we get this really bizarre change of tone. Suddenly he says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from the, me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred, is what he says. This is like reading my teenage diary, honestly. It's like, <laughs> David, why is David getting so emotional? And then... Again, this strange change of tone. Search me, oh God. It's like he's almost given up, like he's worn himself out with his feelings. And know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me. It's hilarious because he's just said something very, very hurtful. And lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, I kind of give up. <laughs> I need you to show me what to do next. Because what's going on in here... It's not pretty. It's not taking me anywhere good. Now, if we could summarize a few things that David is wrestling with in this psalm, and he is wrestling with them, he's emotional about them, it would be this. Firstly, God has a better grasp of what is inside of him. Now, this is crazy to think that God knows more about what's going on when I feel emotional, what's going on inside my thoughts than I do, than anybody else does. God has a better grasp of it. Secondly, that God is more present than whatever he hides in. He says, if I make my bed, I find you're already there. He's more present than whatever he hides in and whatever consumes him. Even when the darkness threatens to overwhelm him, he finds God is more present than that. Thirdly, that God is not going away. Now, at my most emotional, I alienate everybody from me. 
You do not want to be around me when I get worked up. And you might not be someone who expresses your emotions outwards. You might be the person who's hiding them and doing everything you can to push them away. But in doing so, you're finding you're pushing others away too, right? That you can't quite be real and honest with the people around you, that you're feeling more and more isolated. God is not British. When you are feeling rubbish, he doesn't go, oh gosh, right, <laughs> goodness. He doesn't go anywhere. He's so close to you. He grabs hold of you. Even when you are at your worst and most emotional state, you will never, ever push him away. Even when you push everybody else away, you will never push him away. He doesn't go anywhere. It's so true, it annoys David that he can't get rid of his God. In light of all that, God makes it possible to safely arrive at and safely return from his emotions. And here's why. Because whatever extreme David goes to, whether he's running and hiding or whether he's overwhelmed by how he is feeling, God is there. He is with David in all of it. In fact, he will take hold of David at both ends of that scale and work with him to bring him back to center. If we could picture it a bit like this, this Goldilocks zone of our emotions, even as we stray out of it, become consumed or start to numb ourselves from it, the presence of God, according to David in this psalm, encompasses all of that. And if anything, it pushes in on us. It takes us from both sides and allows us to move back towards a place where things are just right again. And the reason that God can do that is one, because he is always surrounding us. And two, because he created my insides, not just my biology. He created the seat of my emotions, of your emotions, of the way that you feel and the way that you respond to things. He knows that because he made it. That's why for David, God is his first port of call when it comes to his emotions, what's going on inside of him. And David's conclusion is, I may as well let God help me out of it. If he's not going anywhere, if he's still there, when I'm avoiding and numbing and when I'm being consumed and screaming and crying, I may as well go to him and let him help me out of it. And for that reason, David leant into, and you can see this in the Psalms so many times, he leans into what God's presence actually invites him and allows him to do and makes possible. Not to calm down, but to psalm down. Whenever we find ourselves wanting to, not wanting to arrive at an emotion, wanting to do anything to avoid it, or whenever we find ourselves unable to return from an emotion, here's what God invites us to do to help us to move back to a place where things can be just right. Firstly, to hold fire. Don't do the thing that you would usually do to act on the emotion or to hide the emotion. Just wait for a second. Hold fire. Hold still. 
Get yourself in a place where you can process, where you can pay attention to what's going on in here. Let me know, God says. And not just as in, let me know, tell me. Let me know you. I do know you. So let me know you. Spill your guts. Tell me the ugliest version of it. If you go through the Psalms, it gets so messy. David says things that I wouldn't dream of saying to God. But David demonstrates that you can, even the ugly bits, because God, he knows it already. He knows it completely. There's no point holding it back from him. Let me know, and then let go. This is what David does almost at the end of every single one of his Psalms. When David says, search me, see if there's anything hurtful in me, and then lead me in your way everlasting. He's saying, I surrender to your lead in my life. I surrender this feeling. I surrender what this feeling makes me want to do. And I'm handing myself over to you. And I need you to show me a way through this. Hold fire. Hold still. Let God know. And let go. If you could do that, when you want to run and hide from what it is that you're feeling, or when you know that you're about to blow your lid, I think this would make such a huge difference to you. Because when we do this, we're positioning ourselves in God's grasp, in a place we can't escape from anyway. And we're allowing him to work through with us everything that's going on inside there. The thing I love most about it, and the thing I'd love you to hear most about it, is that God is waiting to help you get back to a place that's just right. He's already with you before it's just right. He's with you in the most emotional state, and he's with you as you're numbing the pain. Now, there's one more thing about David's Psalms as we wrap up that we shouldn't miss. And this is the final thing we'll talk about today. David's private thoughts didn't stay private for very long. We know about his psalms because he obviously shared them with somebody. Now they're famous public poems. He must have got the inside out to somebody, that he actually shared it with somebody after he'd made God his first port of call. And um, I love that that is what we're invited to do. There's a great passage in the New Testament, the bit of the Bible that was written after Jesus, where people are trying to figure out how to do life together um, amongst those who know and love Jesus. And it invites people to do this. The language is like, bear with one another's, in your Bible, if you've got a copy of the Bible out, it would probably say burdens, bear with one another's burdens. But the language is like, bear one another's heaviness. And I really like that language. And I think what it invites us to do is to acknowledge one, that life is heavy. It is heavy. It is hard. Things are hard at the moment. The news is hard. Life is difficult and heavy. And we need to bear one another's heaviness together to share the weight of that. To get the inside out, to talk about the fact that things are weighing on us. And I love this language as well, because if you find the language of feelings difficult and emotions difficult, I think the language of heaviness is really helpful. To start to think about how can I talk about the fact that I feel a bit weighed down and I want to share the heaviness of this with somebody else. Can, can I share the weight of this with someone? That we need a way of getting the inside out, of finding a person who we can talk to about what's been going on inside here. 
that's actually why I've given you what you've got on your chair today. If you're watching online, it's linked in the description of the video. This is called a feelings wheel. And what it does, you can cross out and call it a heaviness wheel if you don't like the word feelings. A feelings wheel helps us to put language to the things that we're go that's going on inside here. Sometimes that could be really hard. I was listening to a podcast just this week that was saying that actually our anxiety levels are going up. Our vocabulary is going down as a nation. That we're feeling more and more and we're feeling very overwhelmed, but we don't have the language for it anymore. And actually, sometimes it can really help us to identify what's going on in here and talk about what's going on in here if we have a word for it. So what this feelings wheel does, you'll see in the center ring, it gives you, oh, sorry. It gives you the kind of primary emotions, the primary way we talk about our emotions, things like being angry or being sad. Then if you identify which of those is closest to what you're feeling, there'll be another level out that will give you some options. Okay, pick the word then that is most accurate to what you're feeling. And that will then split into two final words and again, help you to isolate the language for what it is that you're experiencing. And I hope if you take this away with you, perhaps share it in your family, if you have a family or with the people you live with, put it on your fridge, or if you want to put it somewhere more private, do that. And I hope that this will help you to start to identify some language that you can use to get the inside out. And here's why it's so important that we do this. When we get the inside out with one another, our Goldilocks zone expands because there's something about sharing an emotion that drops the intensity of it. And there's something about sharing it that certainly stops us from avoiding it. So we reduce those parts of us that are being consumed or being numbed by emotion. And we stretch out that place where things can be just right. Because now the heaviness is shared with a friend or shared with somebody who I know cares. So I'd encourage you to take that away and to use that as well. I'd love to pray for us as we finished, and I just want to put this image up finally as I pray. This image is called The Inescapable God, and it's a meditation on Psalm 139, the psalm that we've just talked about. And it captures the essence of what it is that David has figured out and landed on in this psalm, that he cannot, will not ever get away, that he will never be left alone. And as I pray for us as we finish, you can either look at that image or hold it in your mind or just reflect on this idea of the inescapable God who holds you in whatever emotional state you're in. Let me pray for us. God, it's almost unbelievable to think that even as I've been talking today, you surround me. You surround each person in this room. You're with us. You're more present than even the feelings that can overwhelm us. You see what's going on inside of us. Even when we attempt to conceal it or mask over it, you know it. But you don't condemn us. Your desire is to rescue us, to lead us safely through what is going on inside of us and into the life you created us for. Help us to hold fire, to hold still, to let you know, to let go when what is inside of us threatens to overwhelm us. 
How you feel about us, God, we have not fully grasped. We let go today. We cannot escape your presence or your love. So I guess we may as well let you love us, let you know us, and let you lead. Pray for particularly any person in this room who is particularly struggling right now with what is going on inside of them. May today be the moment that they, one, know that you are with them, that you know that you get it, you get it better than anybody else, even themselves. And may it be the day where they take the courage to get the inside out, to let somebody know and share the heaviness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen going to just spend a couple of moments with some questions. There's going to be a video on the screen. Questions are, how were you taught to deal with your emotions growing up? Is there an emotion that's conditioning your responses to life at the moment? How could you apply the psalm down method in moments of heightened emotion? And who could you get the inside out with? Let's spend a moment reflecting on those questions. Thank you. How were you taught to deal with emotions growing up? Has this affected the way that you process your emotions today? Is there an emotion that is conditioning your responses to life at the moment? Can you name it? How could you apply the Psalm Down method in moments of heightened emotion? Who can you get the inside out with?